When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. On Commons People this week, a thin Queen's speech. And it is unforgivable that there is no clear plan to fix social care. Victorious Tories won't mind. It's been clear to Keir Starmer and to the Labour leadership that the Red Wall has been crumbling for 20 years. And it's cautious cuddles from Monday. Whoever I uh, hug, I can assure you it will be done with caution and, uh, and restraint. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to, to, you know, act it out now. Hello and welcome to Commons People. I'm Arj Singh and joining me this week is Paul War. Hi Arj. Hi Paul. Rachel Wearmouth's here. Hi Arj. Hi Rachel. And we're joined by the Conservative MP for Thirsk and Malton, Kevin Hollingrake. Hi all. Hi Kevin. How are you doing? Yes, I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. No, good to have you on. Well, Boris Johnson this week set out his legislative plan for the next year via the Queen's speech. Among the headline moves, the Prime Minister is planning to give adults access to student loans at any point in their lives, to claw back their power to call elections, and will make the NHS more accountable to ministers. But there's been a backlash over other measures, including mandatory voter ID, a delay to banning gay so-called conversion therapy, and an attempt to police free speech at universities. Several Tory MPs are also known to be unhappy about plans to water down planning regulations, and the speech was perhaps most notable for leaving out a plan for social care that the PM promised in 2019. Let's hear Keir Starmer on it. Now 657 days since the Prime Minister stood on the steps of Downing Street and said, we will fix the crisis in social care once and for all with a clear plan we have prepared. We have prepared. Paul, what did you make of the Queen's speech and the omission of a social care plan? What's happening? Well, I have to say, it did feel, despite the fact that there's a lot of bills, 25 new bills, it felt a bit thin overall. I mean, on the one hand, of course, you've got the pandemic as the number one priority of the Prime Minister and the government. You know, there's no question about that. But even despite that, last year, when we were asking about this, what you're focusing on, they said, well, also, you know, we can do more than one thing at once. You know, Whitehall's got bandwidth to deal with, uh, for example, the Brexit trade deal. That's a real priority of this government. So the government did a lot of work on, on Brexit last year, as well as the pandemic but what they didn't do was you know preparation on things like social care and leveling up and those were the two big 
things, I thought, that, that actually slightly undermined it for the Prime Minister himself, given how much emphasis is put on those. So on levelling up, I mean, you know, the fact that we're only going to get a white paper later this year um, speaks volumes. Tim Montgomery, who used to work in Number 10 in those early days after that election victory, you know, he told me this week that the post-election internal conversation on levelling up, rare as they were, were often vacuous. He said it was definitely a case of trying to convert a soundbite that tested well in focus groups into something real. Rachel Wolfe, who, who did draft that Tory manifesto, this week did a really good piece on Con Home, where she talked about measurable tests on things like high street skills, social um, results, like school results. Um, and that's more detailed than anything any minister's come up with so far. So there is an agenda there. It's just that it's somehow, I think, MPs are on all sides just feel a bit frustrated there isn't any beef yet. Um, social care itself, obviously, the PM may well regret saying, you know, he had, quotes, a clear plan we have prepared, he said in July 19. Um, and there wasn't really a lot in the manifesto. Now, you can expect why there wasn't in much in the manifesto, given what happened in 20, 2017. You know, the Conservatives clearly felt burned about that dementia tax charge, so they tried to play it down. But again, that didn't mean you, you couldn't get on with the heavy lifting and the thinking. And I think it's no surprise that Daily Mail today has really been pushing it. And yesterday, it's a big issue for older voters, particularly people over 50 whose parents and grandparents having to deal with this on a daily basis. You know, and the Mail said 14 billion has been spent by dementia victims and their families since, you know, the PM's words in July. So I know that there is a plan. Andrew Dillnot says it's not that complicated. He had a plan. Just get on with it. Um, so, there's, you know, there's a lot of work still to be done on that, I think. Yeah, Kevin, um, you've been talking about social care for, for years mm. and, and what mm. needs to happen there. But apparently, according to reports, your mate Rishi Sunak is holding up the reforms. Have you spoken to him about it? And and what do you think needs to happen now? And and are you are you disappointed by the Queen's speech as well? Uh, not at all is the latter, but I'll come back to that. But um, I mean, social care is such a thorny issue. That's the problem. So yes, I've spoken to Rishi about it both before he became Chancellor and since. Um, I think the trouble is every time you actually come to a solution, everybody then criticises it. So it's so difficult to find something that is not a blank cheque for the taxpayer, which I believe Dill not is. Um, it's not, it, it's not um, sustainable in the long term, I think, financially. Um, so all that doesn't put too big a burden on the individuals, as it happens at the moment, as, as Paul was saying. So um, I think it's a very, very difficult issue. I've been banging on for ages about a German-style social, social insurance system, which is very sustainable, very scalable. It means we all put a little bit of money aside all the time, like we do for pensions. It's simple as that. The trouble with Dillnock is if it rewards people who blow all the cash before they need care. So we're all people that take all their equity out of the houses or don't have a house or spend all their money, then the state pays for everything. How can that be right? How can that be fair to people who do the right thing and save? So, um, so that's why it's very, very difficult. So and we've, we've had two select committee inquiries that I've been involved in on this, both the Communities Local Government Select Committee and the joint one with the Health Committee, and we did come to a conclusion, cross-party. And... Um, a combination of different um, schemes, including that social insurance system. Um, I think the fear is, of course, to bring something forward and the opposition to go to town on it, as happened to Theresa May. It's very, very difficult. But it, it will come this year. It's understandable, I think, over the last 12, 18 months that we haven't focused too much on it because of the obvious with COVID. But um, I think we'll get there this year and it, it'll more be painless. It's going to be tough. Um, but we've got to have resolve and now's the time to do it. There's no question with the, with the healthy majority. Um, 
In terms of the wider stuff, levelling up is the other big thing that I've been banging about for a long time. Fair deal for the North used to call it. I don't agree with Paul. This it was there's no beef. There's 600 billion quid of beef, and that's already been announced. Spent over the next five years in infrastructure, and they changed the green book formula about where it'll be spent. In the past, because jobs are more valuable, more when you create a job in the south, it's worth 40 odd grand. You create a job in the north, it's worth 20 odd grand. You build a motorway. You're going to have more jobs created in the south, so you build all the motorways in the south. That's how it's worked in the past. Now they changed the green book formula, so it's not the only criteria anymore. So that 600 billion quid, a lot more will be spent in the north and the Midlands and the southwest and other areas. So I think leveling up is really exciting. It's a big ambition. It's a huge task. You know, the, the disparity, the economic disparity between London and the southeast and the northeast in relative terms is as big as it was between east and west Germany prior to reunification, two and a half times. Phenomenally big gap. So this is going to take three decades um, to, to resolve it, and that's why it took Germany, and they haven't narrowed it completely yet. It's going to take three decades and $2 trillion it cost us. Germany spent on narrowing that gap. We've got to be in for the long haul, which is right, right, it's absolutely right to get things right at the start, but also commit to do this over the longer term. Uh, Rachel, do you agree with Kevin there that, that you know, we are seeing levelling up? Um, and do you, th- do you think the PM knows exactly what he wants to do and what the strategy is? Uh, not quite. <laughs> I don't think he's quite there yet. I think, I think there is a lot of positive stuff in the Queen's speech, but I think there's a couple of big things that could really undermine it. It's social care, as we've just spoken about, cutting the rate of universal credit could, could um, particularly at the, with the level of joblessness we're likely to see coming out of the pandemic, I think if that's like chopped away, I think that will might fly in the face of, of claims of levelling up. And I also think something else that looks incredibly unfair is the demand for voter ID, which I think just looks like it, it is excluding um, certain people who are, who are disenfranchised. And I think that's also going to it's perhaps a slightly different agenda, but I think it really could come back to bite the government if it doesn't kind of nip that in the bud. Yeah, Kevin, it's not it's not very Tory, this idea of having to carry ID cards around to stuff. Boris Johnson famously said he'd eat an ID card if he was asked to show it and masticate it so you couldn't read it anymore or something like that. <laughs> well, well Ruth Leverton with... called it total bollocks <laughs> last night. <laughs> well, she's not... Um... She's not averse to a bit of frank and, and straightforward language, is she, Ruth? But, um, but um, I don't agree. I mean, I think most people are shocked the fact you don't have to prove your ID when you go in a polling station. You have to prove it to get a package for the post office, for Christ's sake. You have to show, uh, apparently, your ID before you go into a Labour uh, group meeting. So I mean, Not and, photo ID, though, for, for, for photo the post office. Well, I stand yeah. corrected. But, I mean, it's not an ID card. You don't need photo ID for a parcel. You you need you can you can give them your bank card. Okay. Yeah. Well, you can you can get uh, the, the new voter ID cards from the uh, from your local council. It's not going to be you have to show your passport or your driving license. There's a, a system in place for that. It's been happening in Northern Ireland for uh, many years. I understand. I don't see the problem with it. And um, if it gives people more confidence in the system. So I don't agree with Rachel that this is something that's going to have a big public backlash at all. I think the public will probably think it was sensible in the first place. Um, so I don't really well, see... Ruth, Ruth really said like, there was no evidence for it. Well, that, that's not true. There's not that many prosecutions because the Electoral Commission doesn't take forward many prosecutions on it. But there is uh, there is significant evidence of voter fraud in the past. There's no question about it, including some gratuitous cases, mainly involving Labour authorities, I've got to say. Um, Kevin, I wanted to pick up on something you said, and you said it in the comments yesterday as well, and it, it was actually John McDonnell who first said this a few years ago about the um, inequality between West and East Germany and the fact that it's going to take 
decades to to sort out the the north south divide does that make it difficult for your party you know going into possibly the next election to to say you know we promised to do this and we've done it because you can't really say that can you because there are there is still going to be a divide I think it's important to manage expectations is that this isn't going to happen overnight so I think there are some things you can do really quickly um, I didn't realise I had anything in common with, with John McDonnell, uh, but uh, there you have, again, that's something I tried, something I, I didn't know. But, um, you know, there's some things we can do more quickly. So, yes, building a, ro- a road or railway or a new railway station has a, takes a while to have economic effect. But other things can happen more quickly, such as relocation of civil service jobs. So we moved uh, H- uh, Treasury North coming to Darlington. You've got Cabin Office gone to Glasgow, Michael Gove was there this week. You've got the UK Investment Bank coming to Leeds. So things have happened pretty quickly and that's all there now or just about being put in place now. Free ports as well, these tax-free zones will attract a lot of private sector investment. That's This is the key to it. Um, um, Mark Littlewood from the IEA said some time ago, if this is all about connectivity, road and railways, why isn't Doncaster more prosperous? Because it's a really well-connected place. You've yeah. got to get the private sector investing too. And that's why the government's made these tax breaks for businesses in certain parts of the country. So uh, Teesside, the Humber, uh, part of Humber, for example, will get these new tax status that will really incentivize businesses to set up and expand in those areas. So some things like more quickly, whether they do something in terms of the tax system, you could, that's the quickest way to change people's outcomes in terms of uh, the tax system. Um, one thing I disagree with Rachel on, I, I don't think this is all about benefits. It's good jobs we want. That's what we really want. We don't want benefits in the north, extra benefits. We want good jobs. And I would agree. Um, but I, I think one thing that, that, that I didn't hear, I and mean, Paul and I discussed this earlier, the government has talked an awful lot about equality of opportunity, but not about outcomes. And I think I think it's really important to think about how how levelling up might be measured. Is it going to be measured by a reduction in child poverty? Is it going to focus on the unemployment rate? You know, how, how are you going to say we promised to level up and this is how we were successful because life has got better for the people we said we were going to help? That's a very, very valid point. One thing I think we really need to do is move to a single measure of poverty. There's too much argument about whether we use relative poverty or absolute poverty. You know, there's a key principle getting anything done. It's, it's in a book called Good to Great by uh, Jim Collins. And the, one of the key principles, you, you've got to confront the brutal facts. If you can't agree on the facts, you can't really do anything because you can't agree what the, what the measures you're going to put in place and then measure them. So I agree with that, the measures, and I think some of the things you outlined would be sensible, as well as things like average wages, for example, would be a good measure that we should, we should use. But um, it's very dangerous measuring outcomes, though, rather than opportunities, because clearly not everybody people makes, not everybody makes, makes the best of their opportunities. And this has got to be about the individual as well as the state. In fact, it's much more about the individual than the state. For me, you create a fair and level playing field, a, a, a stable framework that encourages investment and things like infrastructure are really important to do that as well as the tax breaks, and then let people get on with it. Good businesses setting up, scaling up, good people training, willing to uh, retrain themselves or get good qualifications and enter the world of work. You can't, the state can't do everything. It's more down to individuals than it is down to the state. Uh, you, you mentioned the tax system there um, and, and how that can help levelling up. What, what exactly did you mean by that? Well, I think there's some things that are in, in built in the tax system that aren't particularly fair. Council tax would be one of them, for example. I think it's, it's there's a proportionately higher burden on certain parts of the country in terms of ta- council tax. I mean, very expensive properties in London, for example, um, 
uh, have pay a fraction of the council tax we pay in a much smaller house in the north. It just can't be fair. Yeah. So um, there's ways you could do things like that. I'm not trying to preempt what the um, what the uh, chancellor might do, but um, again, business rates I think is again um, is due for reform. Lots of different things we could do to make it a fair and more level playing field, which would then encourage investment in different parts of the country. Um, one of the real pluses of the COVID crisis is we've found this ability to work in different ways, just like we are doing now. That's a real opportunity for different parts of the country, rather than thinking you have to be in striking distance of the city of London to, to actually have a successful enterprise. So real opportunities there. Just, um, just some tweaks around the edges could really make the North fly much more quickly than it would do otherwise. Yeah, last one on this. Um, Theresa May is, looks like she's going to lead a rebellion against the proposed planning reforms. Um, I was just wondering where you are on that. And, and does it speak to uh, the difficulty your, your party has now when you're trying to um, keep people in the red wall happy, but you're also trying to keep people in the, in the traditional Tory shires happy? And how do you do that? Yeah, it's definitely an issue. It's definitely a tough thing to do. And uh, that the formula that we're using for housing allocation, for example, is a good, good, good example of that. But I think based upon flawed thinking in terms of the uh, allocating more properties to expensive areas in the hope that prices would fall, that just doesn't work in the housing market. So a market I've been involved in for 30 years, you just create more demand into those areas. Um, so that's been dropped. But the planning reforms, I think, are excellent. You know, it's so bureaucratic a system now. And and the big developers, your Barrett's, your Simmons, whoever else can cope with that, they've got armies of, of fantastically well-qualified um, people who can take things to the plan system, no problem, and no particular rush. They've got this conveyor belt approach to all the development. So they're quite happy. But if you're an SME, and SMEs used to build two thirds of the houses in this country, and now they build 20, just 23% of the houses in this country. And one of the big issues they've got is, is the planning system. Um, that we don't allocate the land for them. And when we do, it's hugely bureaucratic. And then they face just about the same burden, the same cost, of putting a small development of 10 houses uh, together and developing it as you would do a thousand house development. It can't be right. So what this does, it makes it simple. It says that, that part of, the, of town, the, this is what we think is a growth area. These are the kind of ways we want houses to look. So you do that all at the design stage. You want them to be this brick and this, this pan tiles, whatever, and these kind of windows. And, um, and you've got some land, get on with it. That's what they say. And that makes... So all the work is done right at the start when the plan the plan making process happens instead of that being duplicated triplicated through all the way through the process as happens currently. So I, I think I don't agree with Theresa May on it. I think as long as the plan making stage is done properly, like it is should be doing now, then it should be fine. And the other thing it does is puts a lot of pressure on local authorities to actually get a plan in place. So York, for example, hasn't had a plan, a local plan, for sixty years. 60 years, which is absolutely wrong, which which then um, obviously inhibits development, which is it's bad for the rest of the country and bad for York itself. So it really gets all the work done up front and lets developers get on with it, which is a much better idea. Yeah, well, well let's see what happens, how those planning reforms look at the end of the parliamentary battle that's coming. But whatever criticisms Boris Johnson may face over the Queen's speech, I suspect he won't be too bothered following last week's stunning local election success for the party. Uh, as we discussed last week, the Tories continued their march on Labour's former Red Wall, winning the Hartlepool by-election and making gains in swathes of working-class areas. The results appeared to show that voters didn't care too much about the allegations of sleaze, which this week intensified after David Cameron's cringeworthy lobbying text to ministers were laid bare by the Commons Treasury Committee. Uh, but let's just hear Johnson's verdict on the local elections. 
And if there's a lesson out of this whole election campaign, the whole election, local election campaign across the whole of the UK, uh, it's that the public want politicians to get on uh, with focusing on, on their needs and their priorities. So, uh, Paul, Johnson effectively said there that voters didn't care about sleaze, which Labour hammered in the run-up to the local elections. Um, we're seeing more stuff come out this week uh, on the Greensill scandal. Uh, was Johnson right? Well, there is a point, a bigger point here, which is, you know, and we just touched on it about the, the idea of a possible Tory rebellion on, on, on planning, for example. The overriding thing to remember is just what an amazing um, campaign of Prime Minister is and what a brilliant um, vote winner he is. And I think that sometimes his own side have forgotten that since 2019. Sometimes, you know, there have been rebellions on, you know, COVID recovery group. There's been all sorts of uh, little groups of this and that pressure groups on the back benches it's almost as if they've forgotten that he, he delivered them a, a massive majority and and because of that big majority it's like somehow you know there's, there's a, a sort of they feel as if there's been allowed to freelance on various subjects. Now, he seems quite chilled out about all of that, but I suspect that as this parliament goes on, it might get a bit tougher on things like when his own side is saying, you know, we're unhappy about this and that, because he'll say, look, I've delivered once, I've delivered twice now in, in the May elections. You're just going to have to stick with me on various things. And I think Sleaze is one of them. And he's he's obviously, you know, we had Peter Mandelson on the on the podcast the other week saying, look, Sleaze isn't going to be enough for Labour to win an election. Of course it isn't. He's been around the block. He knows that. He knows the only reason Labour won in, in 97 was competence. And if you can, if the government don't keep an eye on competent government, then they might well be in trouble. But at the end, the idea that this is just a beltway issue is, um, is I think, wrong because, look, we saw that with the Dominic Cummings issue, when Cummings broke the rules last year, uh, you might have said, oh, well, who cares? He's a special advisor. He's unelected. No one really cares. That's a beltway. That's a Westminster issue. That was the initial reaction. But the public really, really hated that. I mean, they hated it because of that very simple point about, you know, one law for them, one law for us. And you might say, well, why was that? You know, he, he's Dominic Cummings, who cares? But the public clearly cared. And I think that's the danger of the government. If they're a bit too complacent about sleaze, then the, the public might, you know, bite them on the backside with it. And it, it comes back again to again what kevin said which was you know a level playing field and and is what most of the public want let's be honest most of the public don't engage in politics most of the time what they want is a sense of british fairness and that the system's not working against them and then they can be allowed to get on with life their own lives now the, the only way Labour's going to make any inroads into this whole sleaze issue is if it can somehow marry that sense of fairness and unfairness with with what's happened and i think that um, there is a wider point as well, which is, yeah, the public might not actually poll uh, particularly well when it comes to things like the PM's wallpaper. They don't really care. But, you know, it's not the prime minister's, uh, it shouldn't be the prime minister's approach to life to sort of focus group, you know, standards in public life. That's why we have watchdogs, not focus groups policing it. So I think he's got to do a lot more about integrity and putting his own sort of sense of responsibility on the, on there. And we saw a hint of it this week, actually, in that I think in that press conference on Monday, he was a much more sombre prime minister say, and much more cautious and saying, look, he, it's like he realised he'd got, the, again, this massive mandate, just as he did after 2019, he realised look, I've got to deliver on this. I've got to get serious. And I think that's why he was incredibly cautious on Monday about unlocking. Uh, and I think that's 
he can he can realise actually that's what the public want to hear. Yeah, and he was sombre after the referendum as well in 2016, of course, that famous photo of uh, him and Gove. But Kevin, um, do the Slees allegations, the, the flat, the holiday, uh, the stuff around Cameron, it's sort of separate, but not in a way. Do they worry you? I, I saw you giving it back to Labour yesterday in the, in the Commons. Do you think it's a plague on all their houses? Exactly. Exactly my phrase. I think it's a huge mistake by Labour. And don't get me wrong, I absolutely came into this because I believe in politics. I believe um, the vast majority of people are in politics to do the right thing. And I think, but and we make our mistakes and we must be seen to be doing the right thing. When we make mistakes, we should hold hands up and say we got this wrong. Um, and if there's any corruption, we should hound it out and we should sack those involved. Absolutely no question about it. But that's not the evidence. I mean, Rachel Reeves yesterday, I find it so hypocritical. Rachel Reeves stood there and talked about people pocketing money pocketing money, implying that MPs or ministers, somebody somebody was taking bribes. It's absolutely wrong. Rachel Reeves emailed me, I was I work in the cabinet office, PPS to Michael Grove, emailed me personally a number of occasions to try and get her businesses in her constituency to the front of the queue because she said she had people who could produce PPE. Of course we take that seriously. And of course we want to try and see if, because we're desperate for the stuff. And like any other MP, to, to imply then that somehow that Tory uh, Tory companies or people associated with the Tory party were getting ahead of the game compared to Labour. Absolute nonsense, total hypocrisy. And the, and, and the National Audit Office, a completely independent body, looked at this and determined there's no ministerial involvement in any of the decisions about PPE. So it's absolutely wrong that Labour try and go on this. And all it does is, is trash what's remaining of the good name of politics. It's a massive mistake. And so I think we've much much more responsible approach to this. So uh, so I don't think it's something that really cuts through. I think the, the, the average kind of person in the street who's a floating voter will probably think, well, the politicians are all at it. That's what they might think of this. And so it's not really doing anything for Labour and it's trashing politics generally. And it's not it's not getting them ahead. I think it's just absolutely stop it. Um, in terms of Greensill, again, I think the biggest, um, the only thing I can see there that uh, that really has any kind of uh, substance to it is the fact David Cameron's made a huge mistake allowing himself with a company like that. I think he was working for Greensill. He was he had a, a paid role within that organization. Of course he's going to try and lobby whoever he could to try and get support for them if they were if they were in danger of going bust, which they did. So and of course the Treasury then looked at it and looked at this impartially and decided that Greensill weren't um the, the scheme is available, the CCFF scheme wasn't appropriate to use for Greensill because you can't, you can't use it for financial companies and that's what they were. So, uh, and they were rejected. So again, you know, if Labour want to try and make that into something it's not, and there should be a proper inquiry as there are a number of inquiries into wallpaper, into, into uh, PPE, there'll be inquiry now into the COVID crisis, of course, a, a full independent public inquiry and lots of select committees looking at very, all these things. Of course, they should be allowed to do their work and hold people responsible uh, if there's wrongdoing, but to simply um, say that people are in, uh, guilty before before being proven as so, it goes against all the principles of Iowa. I was told that in the UK you're innocent until proven guilty, so proper investigation over these things has been carried out. Uh, Kevin, have you ever received a text from David Cameron signed off, love DC? <laughs> <laughs> I never have. <laughs> I really feel left out. <laughs> and I came in I came in the same year as Rishi as well. I'm just... Uh, it, 
if he wasn't such a great guy, I'd be really envious. But he's such a great guy, so I wish him all the all the best. How well he's done and and how well connected he is these days. But um, Rishi does stuff right, and then I think we did they, whether it be officials or ministers. I think the the um, you know the the inquiries will do their work, and we should wait for the outcome. But I haven't seen anything yet that to suggest that they've done anything wrong. It's not very edifying, though, is no. it? You know, there's, there's texts from David no. Cameron to to ministers, 40, oh, 50, 55, I think they yeah. were in the end, something like that. No, yeah. it's not edifying. You're absolutely right. And David Cameron said that. He would do things differently, use proper channels next time. It doesn't look right. It's not right. They were clearly pretty desperate, I think it's fair to say. And understandably, you've got a you know, huge organisation that's... Um, whether whatever he's doing that was right or wrong, and there's, I think, a potential criminal investigation from the FCA uh, being undertaken. But, um, um, you know, there's no doubt a lot of businesses struggle as, as a result of its failure, and lots of investors will lose money as a result of its failure through Credit, credit Suisse, for example, particularly. So uh, you can see they were desperate to try and get some financial, a financial lifeline at the time. So I think that drove what is some unedifying behaviour, quite right. Yeah, just... Last one. Do you think it's right that that a former prime minister can directly access sort of the chancellor and say, "Can you look at our businesses' proposal?" and and other firms can't? Yeah, I think it's a very fair point, and we should look at that. I mean, those have been the rules in the past that haven't uh, prevented that. But I think we should look at that and decide what the rules should be and how long a prime minister might have to be outside the world of politics before they do something else. Um, but, and I think we've got to be careful we don't sever the connections between business and politics any more than we want to sever the, the connections between our health services and politics. You want to know what's going on. And I've been in business 30 years, still got business connections now. And um, I think that's healthy for Parliament, for people to be in Parliament who've been in the real world and understand how things work. But um, but I think it's you know, the, the we need to restore the good name of politics, if it ever had one. Um, and... Um, and I think the more things are seen to be done in the right way, the right channels. I think John Penrose, one of, uh, who's the Prime Minister's Corruption Czar, made some very good, very good speech a couple of weeks ago when he said, basically, we've got to be more transparency. All this stuff has got to be properly documented. Any correspondence, any meeting, it's not just say you had a meeting with a certain person from a certain business or a certain whatever else. This is what was discussed and make it far more transparent. I think that would help. Do you think APPGs should change? Because there seems to be a lot of lobbying done via APPGs. Um, well, I think some some there are some financial rules around them, certainly that um, prevent uh, lobbying too directly through APPGs. I mean, I, I chair a few and um, probably too many. And um, but um, one the one I do on fair business banking, I think does some brilliant work. And uh, we do get we do to have the secretariat. We do we do need funding. You can't get the people to do the work unless you have some funding for them and that comes with various different sources including some of the banks themselves and we get criticism for that but you know i think at the end of the day as i said before i think most parliamentarians are decent honest people they're not here to try and line their pockets as some people would um try and portray and i think the media itself as well Arj, uh paul I've, I've got to say you know i think you've got a oh, key, no, key no, key <laughs> if we if we together ourselves point the finger at each other like a circular firing squad and, uh, and the media help with that saying implying that every other poll politicians are either corrupt or incompetent or self-serving i think the only people ever get to, to sign up for politics in the future will be the corrupt the self-serving and the incompetent so it really doesn't help I'm not saying the media are always doing that, but they do at times, and I don't think it helps. A real final one now. Couldn't Boris Johnson have just told us who initially gave the money to 
wallpaper is flat and then we wouldn't be in this position. Possibly. Yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, yeah, that's not the media's fault. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I don't say we're beyond, we're, um, you know, we're, at times we, get, we always get things right. I agree, Rachel. So uh, I'm not blaming everything on the media. I think the media does a fantastic job, can I just say. And, you know, some of the campaigns we run, particularly the banking thing, the media's been brilliant. We couldn't get anywhere near where we, we got to with certain things like holding out Lloyds and RBS to, to account without the media. So, uh, I'm, you know, it's really important that we have this, uh, the media that we do. But, um, but no, I, I think we shouldn't be afraid of just, telling it like it is and providing, uh, you know, publicly um, uh, putting things in the public domain that people think uh, they're interested in knowing about. Although you've got to be a bit careful. You just don't have to respond to every um, kind of accusation. But, um, but anyway, the, the inquiries, the inquiries will take place. We're, we're running out of time here. Um, we were going to discuss the relaxation of COVID rules, but um, we, don't, we don't really have time. But I'm just going to ask you, any of you, who are you going to cautiously cuddle on Monday? <laughs> Can I cuddle my sister? I mean, actually, my niece's uh, 21st birthday, actually, this Monday. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I've got some really good friends that we haven't seen for ages. So we're going for a walk with them, and we'll inevitably, whenever we see them, we want to give them a, a hug, but we'll be able to do it. Yeah, at uh, it's going to be surreal scenes in the parks on Monday with uh, everyone going around arm in arm, but it should be lovely. Um, anyway, just before you go, Kevin, we're going to do a quick quiz and in a turnaround of the usual format Rachel is going to ask the questions wow. this week okay. so fire away Ooh. yeah I'm just going to point out in the first instance that um I, I'm doing the quiz because Arj accidentally emailed the quiz and the quiz answers to me and Paul last night. <laughs> okay, you could have sent it to <laughs> me. I'd just like to take that opportunity to embarrass me <laughs> slightly. Um, so my quiz this week is reshuffle themed after um, Keir Starmer reshuffled his shadow cabinet, sacking Annalise Dodds and replacing um, his shadow chancellor with Rachel Reeves. I have questions on reshuffles in the past. So... Okay. In last-ditch effort to hang on to power, Tony Blair reshuffled his cabinet after a disappointing set of council results. He demoted Jack Straw, but to what position? Commons leader. Yes, I'll oh, just write. Yeah. Brilliant. Well done. Very good. Okay, after winning the Tory leadership in 2019, Boris Johnson axed a number of Theresa May's ministers. How many? God. How many? Yeah, 15. Because it, um, no, more than that. Probably 40. Close. <laughs> I'd say something, something like 19, something like that. Yeah, both almost, right? Oh, can I have a guess then? Um, 17. <laughs> yes, Arj gets the point. Yes! Um, <laughs> and a quick, quick bonus question. Um, name three. Oh, what's she called? Um, George Osborne. Oh. Three who... Uh, George, Fre- George uh, Freeman. Nicky Morgan. George Freeman was one, yes. Um, Mel Stride. Um, yes. Um, Very good. Uh, who else? Um, Damien Hines. Yes. Yes. Very oh, good. well done, Kevin. Okay, Margaret Thatcher's reshuffle of 1981, when she faced a lot of criticism of, of her economic policy. She sacked Christopher Soames as leader of the Lords, but who did she replace him with? Uh, Strathclyde. No. Um, no. Hailsham. Hailsham. No. No, uh, he was the Lord Chancellor. Um, God, that's a tough one. We love to Google it. Who would she replace? <laughs> <laughs> no idea, actually. Um, Give us a clue, Rachel. Who's the first female leader of the Lords? Oh, Boothroyd. No. Wrong party. Wrong party. Oh, first yeah, female leader of the Lords. Um, I was one years old or, or something like that this time. <laughs> God, old oh, mate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Janet Young. 
Oh, oh right. God. That'd have been guessing for a long time. Oh, God. Wow. Um, and final bonus point. Um, who said this after the 1981 reshuffle? It does no harm to throw the occasional man overboard, but it does not do much good if you are steering full speed ahead for the rocks. Francis Pym? Was it Francis Pym? No. Oh, it's another wet. Some other wet. Um, Hesseltine? No. No. Uh, it, was, oh. it was Ian Gilmore who she removed uh, Lord was wet. Deal and yeah. demoted to Northern Ireland Secretary. <laughs> yeah, he was a wet. Excellent. Dripping wet. Who's won then, Rachel? I think it was you, Alex. Yes, yes. Well done. I would expect so. <laughs> ah. Played 1-1-1. One, one, one. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty good record. <laughs> Okay, uh, Kevin, you've got to go, so please go. Uh, thanks very much for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks really nice to have you on. I really enjoyed yeah. it. Thanks very much. All the best, everybody. Well, unfortunately, that's all we have time for this week. Thank you to my guests for joining me, and make sure you subscribe to Commons People on all the usual channels, and please be sure to leave a review. And get your daily dose of what's happening in Westminster by subscribing to the Warzone newsletter at bit.ly forward slash the hyphen war hyphen zone. We'll just leave you with Boris Johnson reflecting on Angela Rayner's reshuffle power play against Keir Starmer. In any pride of lions, Mr Speaker, it is the male who tends to occupy the position of titular, of nominal authority, while the most dangerous beast, the prize hunter of the pack, is in fact the lioness. A point that I am sure the right honourable gentleman bears in mind as he contemplates the member, his friend, the Right Honourable Member for Ashton Underline, the Deputy Leader, the Shadow's First Secretary of State, the Shadow Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster, and Shadow Secretary of State for the future of work. Though the more titles he feeds her, Mr Speaker, the hungrier I fear she is likely to become. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.